My name is Kirk, one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're visiting, thanks for once again uh, shifting seats here together and joining together. We uh, desire church community, and this is a good way to start it, so uh, thanks for being a part of it. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into the, the passage today. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for uh, calling a people together, Lord, to be your church, and uh, thank you that we get to uh, hear your word, we get, we get to um, just study your word, we get to dive into your word, we get to hear your truth, that you revealed um, your love for us through what Christ has done, so thank you that uh, your character is, is love and it's good, and I pray this morning, God, we would just grow in knowledge, in love uh, of you this morning, so thank you, and pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to be in James, and we're actually going to do three verses today. I know that's kind of, maybe three, yeah, three verses today, and that's not typical. Typically, I know we kind of take a chunk and go with it, like a chapter or more than, than three, but we kind of decided we're going to slow play James a little bit, because it really is this like rich, I would say, uh, just wise book that we want to take some time doing like a deep dive, like just a deep dive, and deep dive Good summer theme, we're going to go with that. And for those of you who don't know how to dive like myself, you could think of James as like a cannonball off the uh, diving board, right? And because James like is a big splash in your life if you land in a cannonball. It's a terrible analogy, but I don't know how to dive, so that's basically the point. So, but, so deep diving, um, we're going to hit James, and we're going to look at a couple things this morning, uh, really takeaways in regards to wisdom and the knowledge of God. And here's what I want us to, to recognize this it's first this, it's the knowledge of God's good character is the wisdom that's revealed to us in the midst of our trials. That's what we see James talking about in these first verses. And the second thing is it's the gospel. The gospel anchors us in the truth that God is good, even when our circumstances might feel a little bit difficult. So those are the big kind of like two takeaways we're going to look at today. And, and you might be thinking, like, as you hear um, the anchor, gospel is an anchor, maybe you're thinking we're, like, really diving into this summer theme thing, this whole, like, nautical thing, but that's not the case. See, what we're going to see is that James is, like, the master of metaphors. He's going to use metaphors all throughout. The way that I love uh, different things like alliteration, like, James, his, like, his allegiance is allegory. That's where he's at. Like, he loves metaphors. And James's metaphors typically are going to be nature-based. They're going to be outdoors-based. James grew up by the sea, so he might be a little bit of like, like a sea guy. Could be uh, maybe he did some hunting or whatever. He's, he's an outdoorsman. Think of like uh, Steve Irwin. Uh, what's that guy, Bear or something or other? Or uh, John Candy, right, from Great Outdoors. Like think about those, those, that crew right there. And that's where you see uh, James, which is going to fall into. And what we're going to see is this metaphor he gives today it fits really well into that narrative of nature, right? He's talking about this ship that's being tossed to and fro. And what he's saying is our faith, right, is is so important in those moments. It's so valuable in those moments when we get hit with different waves and things that happen in life. This is an incredible analogy. I don't know if you guys have ever been on a cruise before. If you've been on a cruise, you realize, like, first trying to get your, 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 your footing when you're getting back and forth, getting hit with waves this way, or, or if there's any pirates in the house. Any pirates in the house? All right, good. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you guys would also recognize that this is a really good analogy. Waves hitting. Right, think about, you know, maybe marriage is just in, like, a, a rough spot, right? And so you're trying to, like, get stable here. And then all of a sudden, like, job maybe feels a little bit uh, it's unstable. We're not sure what's going on here. So you're just trying to keep your foot and going back and forth. And I think that's a really good analogy 
as James talks about, our faith, how valuable that is during those moments where we're just sure, kind of uncertain. And, and James tells us really what we need in those moments is we need a strong faith, but at the core of the strong faith is what we see the incredible value of wisdom, of wisdom. And I, I love James because, once again, this is a practical book, right? He's not just like, go get wisdom, and then just kind of says, good luck with that, right? James is pretty clear about where wisdom comes from. Where does he say he comes from? He says, wisdom, it's, it's from God, right? Anyone who asks God, you need wisdom, here's how you get it. And it says, God who gives generously, right? He desires to provide wisdom to anyone who wants. Look what he writes. I love this. It's such a good passage. It says, if any of you lacks wis- lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's an amazing offer if you think about it, right? Anyone needs wisdom? God's like, yep, generously give it to you, right? All you got to do is, is, you know, come, come to me. And that, because that's what, what we see um, as we read the rest of this passage or this, these verses. There, there seems to be uh, what James pointed out, maybe there's like a, even like a stipulation in there, right? God says, it says he gives generously, but then James, as we look a little further in these verses, kind of seems like adds a stipulation. And I, and I want to recognize that kind of can trip people up. Look what it says. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of a sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded. He is unstable in all of his ways. All right, so what's the deal with, with these verses here? Like, it seems like there could be this potential for what I would say, maybe contradictions, right? He says he generously gives. And then he says, but then he withholds. That, that sounds like contrary. And I want to teach a little bit on this, this portion of this passage because I think what happens, sometimes people can read this and they can get just, just stuck and say, oh, oh like, oh man, I, I, I had a doubt yesterday. Is that, does that mean that God's not going to give me wisdom now? Right? Or if I've, I'm just in a season where I'm wrestling with, with some doubts. Does that mean he's going to withhold wisdom? But didn't, but didn't James just tell me that God gives generously? Like, what, what do we do here? Like, what, what, what's the key? Well, first, you know, the, the recognition is welcome, welcome to the book of James and teaching to the book of James, right? There may be a few more of that we're going to have to navigate here. But what's important to recognize when we find maybe potential, what, what might come across as contradictions or just things that don't add up, what, what's important to do is to first recognize who God is, right? That God is a God who is not a God of confusion, right? That, that's, that's clear. He's not a God of confusion, and so we, we, we hold up our tension, whatever tension that might be, whatever uh, challenge we're trying to look at, we hold that up through the full counsel of Scripture, we hold that up to the character of God, and we look at it through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the gospel. And so what's important to point out, like, what, well, what is true about God? What do we know about God's character? Well, I would, I would say that it's, it's, it's true and it's pretty evident that God is a generous God, He's a generous God. How do we know this? Well, first, he generously gives us life, right? He gives us life. Life is a gift. That's generosity. And secondly, well, he offers new life. He offers new life for those who desire to receive that, right? Through what Christ has done, through the sacrificial giving of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Romans 8.32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
So, so you look at God, he gifts his son Jesus. That's an incredible evidence of a God who is, who is generous. And so I think we can make a good cl- a, a case that, that God, he's this generous God. So, so what do we do, though, with those who may have struggles with, with doubts or their ability? Does that, does that really impede their ability to receive wisdom, right? The connection of, of God's offer to generously give with the words of James, which seem to maybe put like a clause. So let's ask, does, does God withhold? Does he withhold or, or lack generosity in providing wisdom to those who may doubt? That's what we're wrestling with. And I, I'd, I'd propose that, that God absolutely doesn't withhold. He, he's always generous He's always generous, but here's the key, to those who are willing to receive from him. And I, and I want to look at verse 7 to kind of explain a little bit more of that. It says, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So, so here, here's what's happening. It's, it's, it's not that God is withholding generosity. The reality is what it breaks down to. If a person doesn't believe or have faith that God's actually going to give, actually going to be generous? Well, the challenge, it's actually on, on the recipient. The challenge is on the recipient, not the giver's end. Rather than God, than God like withholding, it's more this offer of generosity. It seems to almost already be rejected, like not even willing to be received. So I don't, I don't believe this passage is just directed at addressing every person who struggles with doubts. I don't think that's the case. I think James is actually speaking to a certain type of doubt. I think it's the doubt of, of, of what I'll call the, the cynic. The cynic. Because I believe this passage is actually making a distinction in how we uh, differentiate doubts. Really, two forms of doubts. The first one we'd see in the form of like maybe the, the, the skeptical, like the, the seeker. And the second one is more of a, a cynical, maybe just, just suspect. Skeptical seeks with like this willingness to want to believe. Cynical is just kind of suspect of the whole thing. And, and I think that skeptical, the seeker, I would even say it's, it's maybe, that might be what we see as like a healthy doubt. A healthy doubt which might sound contradictory and stuff, I get that. But if I think about Jesus when he's met with the, the doubt of Thomas. I think about the, the level that Jesus goes to, right? Even shows him, he says, touch, he could touch his hands, right? Or the moments where Jesus meets someone who says, they say, help me with my unbelief, right? Help me with my unbelief. Um, so I think there's just this difference that James is talking about in these doubts, the one cynic is the one who's maybe a little bit more suspect. My kids used to play this game a couple years ago. It was called Among Us. And they just walk around saying, sus, sus. Everybody's sus, right? And that's kind of the, the doubt that James is calling out. It's this suspect of God's character. And what, what makes that doubt unhealthy? What, what, is, what is the challenge in that? Well, it's the posture of the cynic. See, the posture that the cynic shows, he enters with this suspicion. Yeah, you're like kind of sure, whatever, whatever you say. So there's a difference, right? There's a difference in this doubt, and, it, and it's the heart. 
It's the humility of the skeptic versus the, what might seem like in their own mind, the, the, the certainty of the, of the cynic. And so personally, I, I don't think James is, is speaking into the doubt of uh, the skeptic. And I'm sure, you know, there's probably arguments against my view, and, and that's okay. But, but I recognize that James at one time was probably a skeptic himself, right? James was probably unsure, but he was still seeking. So, well, who, who is the skeptic? So we can kind of figure out what are we talking about. I think the skeptic is, is, is the Thomas, right? The skeptic is the one who desires to believe, but struggles at times, like, help me with my unbelief. And I, and I think it's really important as disciples of Jesus that we're able to discern and we're able to uh, differentiate between doubts even in our, walk, in our own walks with Christ, in the times where we're walking alongside other people. I think it's important that we seek wisdom to discern. Like, is this doubt, ask, ask, ask this question, is this doubt rooted from a place of my own authority or from my humility? What's at the root of this doubt? Where's it coming from? Because cynical doubt, here's what it does. It leaves little for, for, for just little room for expectation. The cynic just kind of already seems to have determined the results. Like, yeah, there may be a desire to ask for wisdom, right? There might be that from, from the cynic, but if this determination is already made in the, of the mind of the cynic, that, that doesn't sound like a, a fruitful encounter or interaction in regards to really receiving from God. Like, more of the, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll ask God, not like he's going to do anything about it anyways. Right? That's, the, that's the heart of the cynic. But for the skeptic, here's the, here's the difference. The, the doubt, it looks more like, I, I, I don't know how. And it's, Actually, at times, it's hard for me to, to believe, but God, w- will you help me? Will you help me in my moments of unbelief? And so here's how I think we navigate this potential, I would say, uh, tension. It, it's, it's, it's this. It's the offer of generous wisdom is not contingent upon God's willingness to give, but rather upon our willingness to receive. That's the difference. Okay, so if this is based on a willingness to receive, well, what, 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 is, what keeps us from being willing to receive? Like, what is it that we kind of prevents people, humans, from a willingness to receive? What keeps someone unwilling to receive something from another? And, and here's what I would, what I would offer. Um, I think it comes down to trust and knowledge of the giver. Trust and knowledge of the giver. It comes down to trust that the giver is good. That the giver of this gift can be trusted. In fact, I think that's probably where most of the whole conversation that we're talking about, it, what it comes down to, the main factor, it operates from do I trust character? In this, in this conversation, do I trust God's character? Right? It comes down to how we view, how we view God. Questions like, is God true to his character? Is he trustworthy? Is he good? Like that's, those are the key questions, especially as we look at these moments of trial, 
These moments of struggle, as we get tossed to and fro like a ship on the sea, here's the question. Do I trust that God is good and that he will be my anchor? Can I trust in the character of God that he is a good and trustworthy God? Can I trust him? These are really important questions to ask, especially if we're going through trials. So how do we trust that God is good? Like, how do we get there? My, my offering is, is probably uh, going to be predictable, but it's, it's understanding the gospel. It's really knowledge of the gospel. Because it's, it's the gospel where it reveals the character of a good God, and that's what keeps us anchored to him in the midst of our trials. And so as we look at this passage, as we kind of overview James, once again, how do we come to the conclusion of the gospel, that the gospel is this practical step forward? Like, how does the gospel, how does it reveal the character of a good God? How do we see that? Well, the gospel itself, it translates to good news. That's what, that's what the translation is. But here's what's, what's important for us to understand. See, the gospel it's not, isn't just a, some translation. It's also a transaction. It's also a transaction. It's a transaction that displays a trustworthy, good God, which I, I love that God, he doesn't just say, but God displays his good news. He displays it. He doesn't just say it. And I think that's important because I think God is aware of something. I think he is aware, and I know he's aware, and I think, of our struggle to trust. He's aware of the struggle to trust. And so in that, he shows. He doesn't just say, but he shows that he can be trusted. And I believe that God is just well aware of our trust issues as human beings. If you think about it, why does, um, why does James need to incorporate verses 6 through 8 into this letter. Right, verse 5 alone, that makes an incredible like coffee cup motto. Like God gives wisdom generously. That sounds great. I can, I can drink coffee out of that, right? But so why verses 6 to 8? Why does he add that? I think James in his wisdom, I think God in his sovereignty takes this as an opportunity to recognize the deep-rooted human challenge, the issue, the struggle to trust. The question of, well, can God really be trusted? And maybe even questions that go deeper, like did, did God, did, did, do we actually trust that God is who he says he is? Is his character, is it true? And if, if James didn't think that would be a struggle for us, I'd argue that verse 5 would just be sufficient. We could just stop there. But I, th- I think James knows that the struggle is, is real. That's why we see verses 6 through 8. While it's speaking into this challenge to trust, the, the struggle to, to fully trust, this question, can, God, can, God be, can he be trusted? And I, I'd argue it's, it's probably a question that humans, we've all wrestled with. Especially the reality of, of existing in this like broken world. The reality is it can be hard for us as humans to not at times even fall into equating like a, a fallen world as some sort of reflection 
of like a maybe what we might think of fallen or, or maybe not so good God. Statements like, well, how could, how could a good God allow this bad thing to happen? Like, I don't know if I can trust a God like that. We've, we've probably heard that. We, it's possible we've thought that. Um, I think it's fair that at some level there are trust issues trust issues. This, this is the reality that we've seen since the beginning of time, that humanity has had, like the question of, of well, is God good? It's, it's, it's at the core of what we see at the fall of man, right? You see that this, the serpent says this to Eve. Well, did God actually say, did he actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What, what is the deceiver? What is he going after? What is he calling the woman to question? It's the character of God, right? Is God actually good? Did he actually say that? You actually trust him? Is he actually who he says he is? You see, right now, we, we exist in a world where I would, I would make this statement in absolute that we're, all of us have been let down by someone we've trusted. If you haven't, awesome. But maybe it's been parents, maybe children, Maybe it's been a church leader, maybe it's been a, a teacher, a coach, a spouse, maybe it's been a friend, and, and it's possible because we've been let down by relationships that we may have even implied this question of, can I even trust God, right? We've maybe even applied it towards God, something we may encounter in our experience, and maybe something we even wrestle, some of us might be wrestling this moment, so I, I think it's important for us just to be honest and recognize the, the human condition, it might contain at times some hesitations to trust. And because of that reality, knowing the character of God through the lens of the gospel, I think it's absolutely invaluable for us. It's absolutely invaluable. The lens of the gospel it reveals this God who is good and knowledge of a good God and the character of a God who, who could be trusted. It's vital. It, it truly is. Especially knowing his character when we might be going through the midst of a trial, might be going through the midst of a suffering. What, 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 like, why? Because in the trials, in the sufferings, in the sorrows, I'll, I'll let you know where, where my, my mind can go if I'm not focused on him. Can be, God, God what, what is happening? How could, you, how could you allow this to happen to me? Do, do, do you know what happens in these moments, though? This is what I was convicted with this week. It's, what happens is our ability to trust God is actually put on trial. It's actually put on trial. And so this wisdom that James talks about, it's being reminded of the gospel, that it reveals the character of this God who is good, this God who can be trusted, who we can anchor ourselves to in the midst of those crashing waves of life that surround us. I believe understanding the character of God is so, so important. And, and I, I recognize that it might not be important to, to some, and, and I understand that, but I'd offer a consideration that, that it really, it should be. 
should be. Because knowledge of God's character, the reality is it's actually afforded to us. He actually allows us to know. And, and he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to reveal that to us. And yet he chooses to do so. And that's incredible. And if we don't recognize that, I want to just kind of throw a, a hypothetical our way. Like what, so so here, here, here's the hypothetical. What if... Um, the, the concept or knowledge of understanding of God's character, what if it wasn't even an option? Right, let's, let's just say that we were, giving, we were given like no revelation of who he is, what he's like, his plan, purpose. And once again, yes, I understand that many people do live uh, and choose to live with, without operating that space. But let's take the choice of that out of it for, for the moment, right? The choice of knowing God altogether. It's not even an option for us. And we're just left to guess, to guess. Well, here's the reality of not having any knowledge or understanding of the character of God. Here's what it kind of, it's, 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 it's kind of like. Now, hear, hear me out, and this is a metaphor, so I want to let you guys know, okay? It's kind of like if you've met someone on an online dating app, and you decided that maybe you weren't going to read their profile, or maybe you didn't even have access to the, the profile, right? But you just continue to show up on dates after date, experience after experience, I'd suggest that probably at some point you may have uh, maybe a desire to know the character of that person, right? You kind of want to have an idea of that person. You might have an idea of that person from the experience, but you wouldn't fully know that person. You might make assumptions about that person, but your knowledge, it's actually um, limited in that. And now remember, this is a metaphor, okay? God is not a dating app, right? Just like James uses, it's just a modern metaphor. But what I'm saying at some point is knowing the character of someone who is present in our day-to-day lives, it's important. Especially as we exist in a world that's full of so many unknowns already. So many unknowns that we operate in. So many things that we're limited to in our knowledge. Things like our, our health. Things like our relationships. Things like our, our career. Things that we are not, we, we already don't have a knowledge fully of. And things that I think we can all agree as humans, we, we're just beyond our control. And so, but here's the beauty of the God of the Bible. We don't have to worry about him not revealing who he is to us. He makes his character known. And his character, I love this, his character doesn't change. His character is consistent. We see this in Hebrews. It says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and will be forever. Now, now we, we enter that consistent character into this, like the specifics of this, this text of James, into our trials, into our suffering, being tossed in fro, like if we have no knowledge of God's character, we're, we're met with this reality that I have no idea about who is actually in control of all things in life. I have no concept of that. See, see lack of knowledge of God's character, it makes these trials, these, these moments that are already pretty weighty, it makes them just even heavier. It, at times, it could feel even hopeless. And as a result of that, not knowing the character of God, 
I'm forced to then live with this, this single unknown on my mind. And not just a single unknown of, of how things will play out, but then you add, I would say, like this, this double amount of unknowns. Single how things will play out, but, but this double who, who is the one who's in control of how things will play out. It, it, it's almost like um, double-minded or something, like James talks about. Now, I wanna, I'll let you know, double-minded in the context is, is different from what I'm saying here. James refers to it more of someone who's um, kind of, they're looking to their own strength and God's strength at the same time. But I think the phrase can definitely fit uh, what we're trying to share here in the, in the level of unknowns. But here's why, once again, I think we have such an incredible joy in why the gospel is such good news. Because we see in the gospel we come to know the character of God. We see that he loves us. We see that he's trustworthy. We see that he desires relationship with us. We see that he sent Jesus to rescue and to restore sinful man. And and see, in the gospel, we see the character of God. We see that he's for us and not against us. Like Paul talks about in Romans, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those, those whom he foreknown, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that we, he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. Those who he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so the gospel anchors us in the midst of our trials by reminding us that the character of God, it is trustworthy, it is good. And that matters powerfully. Because if, if we can trust, if we can trust in the character of a good God, well, what happens is we can remain steadfast. We're going to hear that word a lot. We can remain steadfast in some difficult, tough circumstances and situations in our lives. When, when circumstances might feel bleak, when life feels just incredibly broken, knowing the, the, the character of God is an incredible source of value. And, and listen, I know many exist in life without deciding to live in knowledge of the character of God. And, and maybe even um, under a worldview that, that might kind of include statements almost that seem similar to what Paul writes in Romans 8. Things like, well, it, it is what it is. Or if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Or, well, things always have a way of working themselves out. And, and those statements, they can bring a sense of comfort in the reality of our limited knowledge. I, I recognize that. But there's just kind of something I, I think we should wrestle with in that. See, there, there's something different about operating in a worldview that doesn't just state things will always work out, but rather provides knowledge of the character of the one who actually works all things out. Like, things will always work out. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Cool, like, but that sounds great, but says who? Who, who makes the call of how things will work out? Like, who's the guarantor behind that statement? 
Is it me? Is it you? Is it the universe? And please, no, I'm not trying to be insensitive to a worldview that operates from those statements. I, I understand the, the, the comfort consol, consolations that we have. Yet I think it's also sensible to, to pursue, well, who declares those statements to be true? How, how do we know the heart of the one who's actually declaring those statements to be true? Well, the beauty of the gospel is that in the gospel, we have God's character is declared to be true, not just in word, but we also see this his goodness in work, in his work. What, what, what does that mean? It's, it's that God shows his character by not only speaking his word that says he's good, but by Christ's sacrificial work to actually back up this claim. See, see the gospel declares the goodness of God's character both in word and work. And, and word indeed is going to fit so well as we read James. We're going to see this all throughout. And, and God does both. He says word and deed. And that's James's faith journey himself. Like James speaks from a place of both. When James is actually making this call in regards to doubt, he's actually doing so from this vantage point of personally encountering this resurrected Jesus, this Jesus in the flesh. He experienced, yes, the word of God, but he also experienced his work. This, this same Jesus, who at one point, they may have shared a room together, maybe bunk beds, I don't know, but remember, like James, he wasn't this immediate believer, Corey talked about last week that Jesus' family and his siblings, they, they weren't like immediately on board. In, in fact, at one point they thought he was kind of crazy. And so it's possible for James, it wasn't until he actually saw the work that it actually matched the words that he actually believed. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 7, Paul makes this quick statement about um, Jesus' post-resurrection appearance. He appears to many, including 500. And then he says, one of those was James. He says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And I can, I can only imagine James like recalling the many accounts of Jesus' words. Even uh, words like the, the Last Supper, the words we see recorded in John, where it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I can imagine that moment. James is recognized, like, oh my, oh my goodness, like he was true to his word. This Jesus actually did what he said he was going to do. He actually said that he was going to give his life. And, and, and give it up for the good of many. And he actually did it. Like I saw him crucified. I saw it happen. And now I see him in front of me. He lives again. And, and this is unbelievable. And so Jesus, like post-death grave, he pays his brother a visit, which leaves James' faith. It's just unwavering. It's unwavering. How could it be not? How could he deny the goodness of this God? This God who promised that he would send a Messiah. He would send a Messiah to save, to rescue. And this God who actually stayed true to his promise. And so I, I can imagine like doubting for James, it, it doesn't even make sense. It, it doesn't even seem like it could be an option. And I love the heart of James. I love it because I think that's, the same level of faith that James wants for us as well. I think that's why he's so tough. 
on those who actually doubt. And, and I think as, as much as there's probably a rebuke in his tone, I, I, I recognize that. I also think there's this just deep-rooted desire for each one of the image bearers of God to just trust and know that the character of God is good. Trust that the proof of the goodness of God is in Christ Jesus. And James, I think his, his passion, his desire for others to believe, to trust, I, it, it could come across a little bit harsh. I, I can see that. But, but I was thinking this week about moments where maybe the passionate moments in my life where maybe I might have come across harsh and, and maybe not out of like a harder rebuke, but more of a desire for some, someone just to like trust in what I'm saying is true. Like you you got to trust me. I'm not sure if you guys have had those, those moments of like desiring something for someone. And that desire kind of turns a little bit more towards, I don't know, sounds like a rebuke. Like you have to trust me. What's wrong with you? Like for, for me, this was trying to introduce my kids to some, some new foods, like to trust me that um, get their palates going a little bit. Like, like seriously, like Thai food will change your life. Like trust me, just eat the pad thai. Like you will thank me later, just eat it, right? How could you doubt this life transforming experience? And that's James. And he didn't taste and see that pad thai is heavenly. He, not even close, he actually finds the same joy that David does when he tastes and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that it's the Lord Jesus, that he's good, that the Lord is so good. It's in Christ where we see the goodness of God. We see God reveal that he's trustworthy, that is good. It's not just in word, but it's also in this work. This word that says, I am the redeemer, I'm the rescuer, and I love you. And here's proof, here's the deed, it's Christ Jesus. It's this resurrected display of the goodness of God of the character of God. And so here's, here's my thought as we, as we close. For, for those who have tasted and seen the goodness of God, you've experienced and, and can't deny this God is good. Maybe you have these moments like James, these confirmations of God's character. Confirmations where you, 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 you couldn't deny the existence of, of God, the evidence of his, his goodness. Maybe it was this need that he met that you just were like, how did you do that? Maybe it was when you just gave your life to Jesus and you recognized, oh my goodness, you are so gracious and merciful. Maybe it was just a moment you, he showed up so clearly, a moment that you would, it would take more faith to believe that it was circumstance, to believe that it was just sort of chance or luck. I, I just I ask that we would look today just these confirmations of his character, the, the moments where we've tasted and we've seen. Say, oh yeah, God is absolutely real and he's good. And my encouragement is that we would dwell on these moments and they would serve as these reminders of the character of God in the midst of whatever we might be going through right now, and I know there's, there's, some of us are going through some things right now, and it's really hard, and I think we need to be reminded of the wisdom of character of who God is. Or when this potential for maybe doubt, where, where cynic might take the place of, of, of skeptic, that these, these confirmations, these moments, that they would keep us concentrated on Christ. 
in the midst of whatever we might be facing. For me, I have a few just undeniable moments where I just, I, it's, he's real. He's good. And, and I, I have them written down because I need those when I meet other trials, when other things come my way, I need to be reminded, once again, of his goodness. Right? When my circumstances, they want to start to dictate God's character, rather than God's character speaking into my circumstance, I, c- I can look at those moments. I can just look back and I can say, okay, God, you're good. And God, I, I need your wisdom right now. I need the wisdom to see your character. I need it to carry me through whatever my circumstances might be. So maybe just an encouragement for those who have tasted and seen. Maybe jot a few of those down. They'll be helpful. And I I look at those moments and just ask God to remind me of his character. And I think that's the wisdom that James talks about in this moment. It's, It's wisdom. It starts with being reminded that we can trust the character of this good God in our trials because we have the truth of the gospel. It's wisdom that God gives. It's this knowledge of his character that it's gonna carry us through these trials, through our troubles. And, and that's, that's who God, God is. He, he's good. He, gives goods, good. he gives good gifts. He gives wisdom. And the gospel ultimately is this good gift. It's a free gift. It's by grace. It's through faith in Christ Jesus and what he's done and his sacrifice, his righteousness gifted to us so that we might know this goodness of this perfect, incredibly loving God. Why don't we pray and just thank God for the giver and the goodness that he is. God, we, we come together, Lord, recognizing you are a generous good God. Lord, would you help us in moments of trial, in moments where we may feel overwhelmed by the weight of this world, by the broken things of this world. Lord, would you, would you help us see your gospel as this reminder that you truly are good, not just in word, but also in work. Lord, would you reveal to us Moments where, Lord God, we, our, our faith, where we might want to fall into doubt, where we can, we can be anchored in truth of your character, knowledge of your character, recognition of that you are trustworthy, you are good. Lord, help us to, instead of just feeling like we're drowning, help us to trust you. Lord, help us to put our trust and faith in what you've done and that, God, what you say is true, that you do work all things out for the good of those who love you, Lord. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that this offer of wisdom is through relationship that's restored. It's through the sacrifice of Christ. It's through the the one who knew no sin, who became sin, that we might be the righteousness. Lord, we thank you for that beauty and that reality. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, go forward with a faith that's firm and a foundation that's firm, rooted in your character rooted in your goodness, rooted in your joy. God, we love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.